I'm telling you, are you feeling good? Are you, you look good. I, I'm going to say you do, because I sit here and I've been facing the screen. I, it's not very often I, I stand up here and look, my goodness, what a handsome looking bunch you are. You really are. You, I know. Hey, it's surprising, isn't it, really? Well, um, are, you, are, you, uh, are you ready to open up God's word together? Good. Well, uh, I've been asked if I would share the next part of the series, Going Forward Together. And I don't know about you, but I've really found these series so encouraging. They've all been easy messages to deliver. But I get a real sense of God laying great foundation stones for Arena Church. You know, placing building blocks that create stability each one interlinking with the other to provide strength and security. Christian, he he kicked off the series talking about trust. And if you remember, he says, where there is low trust, then progress is slow. But where trust is high, progress is fast. I really think that God is going to speed things up this year because he wants his kingdom to be established in Mansfield, and along the M1 corridor. So we need to trust the leadership and trust each other. Phil spoke on conflict, how we need to be Christ-like, united, speaking in candor, being prepared to consult with each other, and willing at times to compromise, to submit to each other through love and respect. Sadly, many churches don't speak of conflict and never deal with conflict until things come to a head and suddenly explode and the whole mess takes place. And I, I'm just so glad to belong to a fellowship where the leadership of Rena Church face and deal with conflict and nip it in the bud before it has a chance to bloom and blossom and spread seed of disenchantment and dis- discouragement. And last week, Phil talked about accountability. So important how Jesus taught with authority and how he, had, how he had delegated his authority to us. But we need to be accountable to each other. We should never avoid accountability. It is a strong foundation stone. And so this week, I want to share on another basic, fundamental, yet so important building block as we go forward together. Forward together in the purpose and plans that God has planned for us. Let me pray first. Father God, I just really pray that this evening, Lord, you would just come and visit us. That your kingdom come right here, right now, this evening. That you would speak into our hearts and minds. Open up our thoughts, Lord, to receive from you. Just take away any negative things of the day and help us to just focus on you over the next few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Now I've got to say that the building block I'm uh, going to share on, I'm a little bit nervous about sharing it. I have to say that because I know that as soon as I speak about it, some of you will go, oh no, here they go, here they go. Yeah, this is church again. And all of a sudden, the barriers will start coming up. And, uh, you know, you might switch off and say, oh, I can't listen to this. Because this building block 
this word, and I put this word on this flip chart so that you can see it, this word sadly has often been misused and abused in church circles. If you're good at doing crosswords, you might already have an idea what this word is. I don't want you to shout out. I want you to, everybody, to find out together. So if you already know what it is, you're very bright, aren't you? Very clever. But I don't, I don't want you to shout out at the moment. But um, I'll put it on there so that we can see. So as I have said, this word sometimes has been used in the wrong context. It has been used at times to bully people or give them even a sense of condemnation. Now let me tell you straight away, that is not what Arena Church is about. We will never use this word to bully or to condemn people, but we may use it to challenge and to encourage and to stretch you in your faith. So what is the word? Don't shout out yet. I'm sure some of you have already had it. But I'm going to give you a clue. There we are. The fifth letter is I. Now, before I fill any more in, I want to uh, just share a story. There was young, once a young woman. She would perhaps be in her early to mid-twenties. She was married. In her culture, uh, women married at an early age, and she'd been married for 10 years. But sadly, her husband died. Her husband had a brother who was also married, and unfortunately, he died as well. So these two young women were left alone with their mother-in-law, whose husband had died some time previously. Do you want me to fill another letter in? Or, or are you focusing on the I? Hmm. Well, let me just carry on with the story a minute. This mother-in-law had emigrated to a different country because of a famine. And so she said to her two daughter-in-laws, look, I've heard the famine has ended where I was born, so I'm going back home. My two sons have died and I'm too old to marry again, so I'm returning home and I think you should go back to your families. And as you can imagine, there were tears because they had grown fond of each other. They were family, but they had no one to look after them. No welfare state, nothing. And one young lady decided to return home. But one young lady said these remarkable words, and they're going to come up on the screen hopefully, to her mother-in-law. She said this, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Wow. What a statement. What a heart attitude. This young woman who had everything to live for, who could have remarried and stayed in her hometown where she was known, where she was loved and respected, where she felt safe and secure, gave all that up to stay and look after an old lady from a different country. What was her motivation? Why did she do this? Well, this story, of course, is about Ruth. And Naomi. You can read it in the, in the Bible, in the book of Ruth. And I haven't got time to unpack the whole incredible story tonight. But please, when you get home, read about it. It's an incredible story. 
And the story goes on and tells of our man called Boaz, an older man, a man of some standing, a man of integrity and honesty. He sees Ruth and recognizes her heart and sees how she has looked after Naomi. And he says to Ruth, I have heard of the kindness you have shown the widow Naomi. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May you be richly rewarded. Now, Naomi's and Ruth's circumstances were unusual. Both women were widows and childless. Naomi's husband, uh, Elimelech, and her two sons were dead. One of the sons, Mahalon, Ruth's husband, died without leaving Ruth any children. His brother, Kilion, also died childless. Naomi was too old to have children, and Ruth was not a Hebrew. She was a Moabite. She came from modern-day Jordan. Facts that would have presented concerns for an Israelite man who wanted his offspring to be purely Jewish. But Boaz, a close relative of Naomi, possibly Emelech's cousin, uh, had already shown Ruth surprising generosity. Now, the Hebrew word for redeemer is ga'al, G-A-A-L. In ancient Israel, a ga'al was like a conquering hero, riding in on a white horse, coming to save the day. Something like Bonnie Tyler would sing about, you know. So Boaz was a guardian ga'al. He was also a relative. Boaz was a kinsman on a special mission. Redemption. If a woman's husband died without leaving children, the deceased man's brother, if single, was to marry the widow and provide her with a son. If there was no brother, or if the brother was already married, a more distant male relative was required to perform that duty. This was called the law of Leverite marriage. Who could, it could only be fulfilled by the guardian redeemer. You can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 25, verses 1 to 10. The relative who eventually married the woman would become the Ga'al, her redeemer and protector. And Boaz exemplified this example of a Ga'al. Now, I can hear you saying, well, what's that got to do with this word here? What's that story got to do with this word? Well, if you can stop focusing on the I for a moment, I want, I need, I must have, this word puts other people first, puts other people's needs first. It is incredibly powerful if it is used in the right way, and you begin to understand the importance of this word. This word can change a good church into a great church. Ruth not only showed and displayed this word, she lived it out. And of course, the word is, somebody shout out a letter for me. Somebody shout out a letter. Any letter? S. Oh. No letter? C. No letter? O. Somebody's got it. Yeah. You have to excuse my writing. The word, of course, is commitment. <gasps> commitment. Well, diction. 
Ordinary definition says commitment, the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause, activity, or a person. It means dedication, devotion, allegiance, loyalty, faithfulness, fidelity, a bond. And Ruth lived out her commitment to Naomi through love and respect. And just watch what happens in this story. When you go home, just read about this. Ruth, a Moabite, not an Israelite, marries Boaz, her guardian redeemer, and gives birth to a son who they called Obed. Obed becomes the gra- becomes the granddad. Oh, here we go. It's powerful, isn't it? Obed becomes the granddad of Jesus. Ruth's commitment to Naomi makes her Jesus' great-grandma. That's the power of commitment. Man, when I read this story, and I've read it before, and I've read it many times before, and I know the story, but it really impacted me. Of course, I'd just been on a week's holiday with my family to Centre Parks with Liz and Sarah and my son Simon and his wife Vicky and my uh, little three-year-old granddaughter Pippa and my eight-month-old grandson Freddie. And we just spent a, a fantastic week together. We'd had a really good time. And on the Friday evening, as everybody got, went home, I came home and I, I just did this Bible reading. And I read about this, about Ruth's commitment to Naomi, and about Boaz's commitment to be their guardian redeemer. And when I read that Obed, the son of Ruth, was Jesus' granddad, Granddad, something inside me lurched, and I started to cry. I got all upset because I want to be the guardian redeemer for my children and my grandchildren. I want them to be part of God's family and to know his love and security and provision. And so I started praying, saying, God, help me be committed to my family Help me be a guardian redeemer. Help me to show them your love, your compassion, your grace and mercy. Help me to show them your commitment, God. And after a while, after I calmed down, I really felt God speak to me. And he said, Paul, don't stop there. Don't limit me. Don't just be a guardian redeemer for your family. Be a guardian redeemer for my family. Because there's a world out there who are lost and hurting. God wants people to, com- to be committed to reach out and save the lost. And yes, it will take time and it will take effort and energy. And we may have to switch the television off perhaps a bit more than we do. We may you know, miss going to the pub or nightclubbing. But the rewards are so much more than we could ever imagine. And please hear me, Arena Church. We want your commitment. Yes, of course we do. You know, Scripture says, people without a vision perish. Well, let me tell you, vision without commitment perish. Arena Church has a great vision to see the M1 corridor impacted by the love 
of God, to see small groups lighting up our streets and towns and villages, see new churches planted and thriving and prospering, to see communities grow together and be healed. But that will take commitment. Now let me just explain more about the type of commitment that is needed because sometimes there is a lot of confusion about what this word commitment really entails. So let's look at uh, Simon, one of Jesus' disciples. One day Jesus asked the disciples, this is in Matthew 16 verse 13. uh, Jesus said, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, and I tell you that you are Peter. He renames him from Simon to Peter. And if you look at that root word in the Greek, it it means stone or even pebble. Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And here's Peter, one of the great disciples of faith. Would you say that Peter was committed to Jesus? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would agree that uh, that Peter was committed. But let's have a look a little bit deeper at his commitment. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know the story. It's in Matthew 26, verse 36. And he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. And of course, we know that when Jesus goes back to the disciples, they're fast asleep. He wakes them up and says, guys, what is it? You know, I'm over there praying. Because Jesus knew what was going to happen that night. He said, guys, come on, pray with me. Even just for an hour, just pray with me. And he goes over and starts praying again. And when he comes back again, of course, the disciples are fast asleep again. And then the next thing that happens is that Judas comes with the guards and betrays Jesus with a kiss. And did Peter, he jumps him feet first. I don't know why he did this. But he jumps in, takes out a sword and lops a guard's ear off. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, Peter, whoa, whoa. That is not my way. And he reached out and healed the guard's ears. Now why was Peter, why did Peter do that? Was he trying to prove his commitment without thinking through the consequences? What did he think was going to happen next? Did he think that a revolution was going to take place? Did he think that the 12 uh, disciples, mainly fishermen, could take on a well-armed, well-trained soldiers, the might of the Roman Empire? Did he even pause to think about his actions? And as a leadership team, we want people's commitment to be measured and thought through so that it endures and perseveres. We don't want people jumping in at the deep end saying, yes, I'll do this, I'll do that, oh, I'm excited, I'll do that, without thinking through the consequences. Because the reality is, that kind of commitment can never be sustainable. So projects may start off with a bang, and people's commitment levels are high, and they're fueled by emotion, but quickly run out of steam when reality kicks in. And that is not good for you as individuals, 
And it's not good for Arena Church. So we want people's commitment levels to rise. But to rise as they understand the vision of Arena Church. We would rather have people whose yes means yes and no means no. Because we can work with that. And by the grace of God, grow stronger together and move forward together in the plans that God has got for us. You know, there's nothing worse than someone who says, yes, I'll do that but never has the intention or inclination to follow it through. Saying yes to something just to try and please the leaders or curry favor with them or to look good in front of your mates, well, quite frankly, it's childish. And it's time to grow up now, guys. It is dishonoring to the leadership and it's dishonoring to God. Now, of course, we know that when Jesus was arrested and taken away, Peter disowns Jesus three times. But before he disowns him, it says in Matthew 26, 58, but Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome, to see what would happen. Now, please understand what I'm saying next. I don't want anyone to feel condemned or feel I'm having a go at them. But I do want to challenge your understanding of what it means to be committed because there may be people in Arena Church who believe that you can be be committed to the church by just turning up on a Sunday and putting your money in the offering and attending the odd prayer meeting. But that is not commitment. That is following at a distance. And if you feel that that is your level of commitment, you are fooling yourselves, but you're not fooling God. Being committed means basically rolling your sleeves up, getting your hands dirty, getting stuck in, making a difference in church and making a difference in the community are you currently making a difference if you didn't turn up at church for a few weeks would anybody notice well if you're making a difference yes they would notice now that does not mean as a leadership team we want you doing everything out every night of the week at different meetings burning the candle at both ends until you drop down with fatigue of course not In fact, I would say to some people, you need to stop doing some of the church stuff you are doing because you are committed to too many things. And as a result, you're not doing the best job you can do. Being committed to one or two or three things in church and doing them well is far better than being committed to a dozen things and not doing any of them well. So let your commitment be measured and assured. Let the Holy Spirit guide you into what God has planned for you. Having a servant heart, yes, always. Willing to serve, yes, of course, always. Your commitment levels will grow through relationship with Jesus. Peter, this headstrong guy, I really like him because it reminds myself so much of myself at times. Absolutely headstrong, full on, and yet was humbled when he disowned Jesus three times around a campfire. And Peter thought he had blown it. He thought that's it, lost his chance. And yet just a few weeks later, Jesus reinstates Peter around a campfire on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And looking into those flames, Peter must have reflected On the night, he had turned his back on Jesus. But now, a new day, Jesus says to him, Simon, 
son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Commitment through relationship lasts through testing times and trials. Liz showed me uh, an article um, in her daily uh, reading, The Word for Today. And it's uh, written by... Charles Chuck Colson. Now, if you don't know who Chuck Colson is, he was a... uh, uh, He used to work for President Nixon. He was known as President Nixon's hatchet man from 1969 to 1973. And Colson gained uh, notoriety at the height of the Watergate scandal. And if you've never heard of the Watergate scandal... Just Google it when you get home. It's a fantastic story, really, of how uh, the United States president was totally dishonest and and he had to step down. And Chuck Colson went to prison and he served seven months in the federal Maxwell prison in Alabama. And he became a Christian. He became a Christian. And his midlife conversion to Christianity sparked a radical life change. And this is what he says. Chuck Colson said this. After nearly eight decades of living, I can vouch for this. My single greatest joy is giving myself to others and seeing them grow in return. You cannot discover that without commitment. I first learned it by watching my parents care for my dying grandparents in our home. I later saw it in the Marine Corps. You cannot go into combat commanding 45 men, as I was trained to do, if you were not committed to one another. You were going to die if the next man to you did not cover your back. By abandoning commitment, our narcissistic culture has lost one thing it desperately seeks, happiness. Without commitment, our lives will lack meaning and purpose. After all, If nothing is worth dying for, then nothing is worth living for. And Jesus taught that the only way to live abundantly is to die to self-interest and give yourself fully to God and those who need what God has given to you. Commitment through relationship is so, so powerful. Now just for the next few minutes, can you just switch your imagination off? Can you just imagine a small boy Can you just picture him in your mind? A small boy, three or four years old, with dark, wavy hair. And he sat amongst the sawdust of his father's workshop, watching everything he does. What are you doing, Daddy? Well, I'm making a stool, son. And those words that every father loves and dreads at the same time. Can I help? 
And he says, yes, of course you can. And the father stoops tenderly and picks up his son and sits him on the workbench. He makes a small hammer for him and a small saw and teaches him how to make tenon joints and dovetail joints. And as the son grows older, he helps his father more and more and learns about woodwork, learns how to take a piece of wood and form it and fashion it and smooth it into something that could be used to make a yoke for cattle to pull carts and plows with. He learns how to make them strong, yet light, so the yoke is not burdensome. Often he cries out, oh, Dad, I've got a speck of, I've got a speck of sawdust in my eye. And blinking from the aggravation, he would sit and wait until his dad had put down the plank he was carrying and removed that annoying speck from his eye. This boy learned so much about life in that carpenter's shop. And life was good. Then one day, one day, about 30 years later, the boy, now a fully grown man, stands in his father's workshop and looks around. He runs his hands over his tools and feels the smoothness of the handles he has used many times. So familiar in his hands. He feels the rough bark of a newly cut tree and winces slightly as a splinter pierces the skin of his finger. He stands in the cool of the workshop, protected from the heat of the day, and he smells the smell of new-sawn wood mixed with the smell of a new-cooked bread his mother is baking. This place, this workshop where he learned many things, this place he called home where he felt safe and loved and secure, this day. This day he knew he was never going to see this place again. He steps towards the door and stops suddenly. Something in the corner of his eye just catches his attention. And he picks up from the workbench two wrought iron nails. And he feels the weight of these nails. And he rubs them between his fingers and his thumb. And he feels the sharpness of the point of these nails. And then he just lets them fall back onto the workbench. He steps out of the doorway into the sunshine, into his destiny, committed now to go the whole way for the joy that was before him. Jesus steps into his story, the history maker. And because of Jesus' relationship with God, the Father, Jesus calls 12 disciples. And for three years, he is committed to them. He teaches them. He provides for them. He makes himself an example for them. He rebukes them. He laughs with them. He weeps with them. He challenges them. He loves them. He changes them. And going to the cross at Calvary, he suffers great pain and anguish for them. He gives up his life for them. He cries out, it is finished for them. But his commitment doesn't end there. 
because he goes to the very depths of the earth for them and snatches back the keys of life and death for them. And then he returns to them. He encourages them and empowers them and promises to come back again for them. Amen? Jesus, the ultimate commitment. I don't know whether the guys had just come back and just help, help me here. but Commitment through relationship. A church united by purpose, mobilized by vision and motivated by compassion. People with a vision and people committed to make the vision become a reality. Now do you see the importance of this word? This fundamental building block. We're not saying there is no commitment in Arena Church. Far from it. We wouldn't be holding this meeting in this building if people hadn't committed finances, time and energy. But we want to go stronger. We want to grow stronger in our commitment as we go forward together. People committed to be guardian redeemers for the lost and lonely. Committed to reach out to those who are cold and hungry, the hurting and wounded. Measured in our commitment so that we stay the course, willing to endure and persevere because we understand the reward. Arena Church, are you committed for such a time as this? I believe we will see great things happen in our towns, in our communities, going forward together, committed to each other, committed to God.